0: Let's face it, running a construction company can be chaotic. As business owners, we wear a lot of hats, and we're constantly putting out fires. Luckily, there's a way to work simpler with Build-A-Trend. I'm a huge advocate for using technology to help run AFT, and Build-A-Trend is one of the most crucial tools I rely on to keep me on top of every detail. Built just for home builders and remodelers, this is an easy-to-use platform that helps manage all aspects of my business. My team's been using Build-A-Trend's project management platform for the last five years, and we love that they're always improving and adding new features to make our lives easier. This is something that we've really tried to take on internally to find ways to improve our system every day. Build-A-Trend just released a full set of financial services, added new tools like Takeoff to make estimates more accurate, and launched a total rebrand with a new mission to help change the future of construction, and we are on board. To learn more about how Build-A-Trend can help calm the chaos in your construction business, visit buildatrend.com backslash AFT. When you schedule a demo, you'll receive an exclusive 60-day money-back guarantee only available to my podcast listeners. I'm following Build-A-Trend into the future in construction. Come on board with us. Don't miss the Contractors Coalition Summit. You can go to contractorscoalitionsummit.com and join us in Minneapolis, Minnesota, Wednesday, May 15th through Sunday, May 19th. This is gonna be an incredible event. Again, for all of you builders and designers looking to take your business to the next level to learn about all things, systems, organization, pricing, social media, marketing, how to be a better business owner, all the things that we wish we knew as early business owners many years ago. We're gonna speak about that, I'll also give you a box with all the content, including contracts and other documents that we're using, as well as KPIs, key performance indicators. So don't miss it. It's a huge opportunity. Some amazing vendors will be there as well that you can network with. So again, Wednesday, May 15th through Sunday, May 19th, 2024 in Minneapolis, go to contractors, summit.com.
1: I've seen too many contractors go bankrupt in large part because they don't have the business processes in place. And if they do, they're not communicating them to their customers.
0: So welcome to the podcast today. We're super excited to have Scott Rebon with us. Welcome, Scott. Hey, Brad. Thanks for having me. This one is something I've been really excited about. You know, there's some, this is an aspect of construction and any business that all of us need to spend more time on, Scott. And Scott is America's legal coach. And, I, you know, something that intimidates, I think, many of us is when we start talking legal issues, litigation. Um, and I think you have a really interesting focus, right? That most of us can apply to our businesses. And so essentially, um, I know a lot of us treat lawyers as emergency rooms, um, right. you know, as opposed to primary care. So maybe walk us through a little bit about that understanding and basis.
1: Yeah. And so, yeah, I'm a, a legal coach and small business lawyer, and I work with with entrepreneurs as they build, grow and scale businesses. A lot of those people are contractors of all kinds. And, uh, what I found over the years, and I've been doing this a long time is that people weren't coming in to see me until their house was on fire. So they had a big problem and we could put out the fire, uh, it'd be really expensive, uh, and then they'd be kind of slightly, slightly upset, even though we won, and then they would go away and make the same mistakes again, without calling me, they'd rather flip a coin, Google, dial friends than call me. And it was because my model was broken. we were charging by the hour and it's like all the rest of the lawyers are and no one wanted to call me because money would fly out of their pocket and so i went back to the drawing board and created a plan where entrepreneurs can have unlimited on-demand access so they would with a monthly fee so they would know what their budget was they would know it wouldn't cost them more money to ask questions and suddenly everyone's calling me to talk and we're avoiding problems and so we became primary care rather than an emergency room
0: I love that analogy. I mean, the preventive maintenance is really important. And I think this is how it applies to me, Scott, and and correct me if I'm wrong, but in in the time that I've had my business and I've I've talked to many contractors and so many of us get to the point where just to give a good analogy here, we get to the end of a project as a contractor and there's an amount due, right? And so there's a balance to be paid out. And Mm -hmm. there's, there's always this struggle between that, you know, a client that's like, hey, there's items not complete, things are not finished, and yet the contractor's like, well, I need to be paid. And so they have this kind of tug of war. And mm-hmm. ideally, in most circumstances, you find some agreement or some commonality and you can figure out, okay, let's create some valuations and we can close out this project. Right. Many times, not many times, I say sometimes you may get bad apple, bad client, maybe they had a bad experience. I mean, there's a lot of basis for this, but the client's like, well, I'm not going to pay you. And the builder's looking at this like, well, do I spend good money after bad? I I could spend a ton of money on legal fees to go get this small amount back. And so a lot of times, Mm -hmm. small builders, small contractors end up walking away from a project with money on the table. They weren't compensated because You know they just didn't have either the horsepower or financial means to go fight it and what's interesting to your point scott is that there's a lot of steps that could be that could have been taken much earlier whether it be expectations or in the contract or understanding so that you don't get to that point
1: right yeah a lot of a lot of people are you know starting these contracting businesses and they're you know them in their truck and that's okay. They do a handshake deals. They get paid most of the time. They have really, uh, they have a really good margin because it's just them. And so it's okay. And then as they start to grow in scale, they don't change their practices, and they're still doing handshake deals or just handing them kind of a basic quote. And then they get caught on one of their bigger jobs where someone's not happy with something, or pretends not to be, and they don't pay them. And then they, they, then they have to come back and start fixing it. And so what we help people do, and what contractors should be doing is creating really, really clear quotes that have really clear terms and conditions that explain exactly how how you're going to get paid, when you're going to get paid, and what happens uh, at the end of a project. You know, there should be forms that are signed at the end, like, hey, we've completed the project and they sign off on it's complete. And now we're going to do the walkthrough and they have say the, the customer client has five, 10 days to go through and blue tape everything they want us to fix. And then you go through and do that, and, that you have, and then there's a document saying we've done the walkthrough. And the more you document this thing and set those expectations along the way, the, you have less of these end of project problems. The other thing that, you, that a lot of our clients do is they, they use the lean process. It's different in every state, but we all have them. And there's a way to put the, the client on notice that we're going to lean, lean the project if, it's, if we're not paid. Uh, another thing that we work with our clients on is making sure that they're charging the right amount of money for their project. A lot of people are so focused on trying to get every job that they underprice, undervalue what they're doing because they're scared that people are going to say no. And so then they get in this thing where if someone doesn't pay them that last 10%, let's say the retainage on a job, then they have no margin because that was their whole margin, uh, or they still owe for labor and labor and goods. Um, and so if you really put the right numbers on your project and build in the right values, you, even if you get shorted at the end, you may not make money, but you're not going to go in the hole. And so it's really important. And it's not just in construction, just generally in business to really understand that that you're selling value. You're not selling, you're not just selling the project. You're selling how we're solving a problem for them or creating a dream. What's that really worth? And make sure it's enough to make it worth you going out there and risking that at the end of the project, they may they may not pay you the last 10%. I
0: think that's a really good point because you made a few there, but I think most importantly is most of us have never thought, hey, could I consult with my legal counsel, with my attorney, you know, with Scott on Value right on the value on what am I charging the right amount and based on your experience, you know, working with small business, working with contractors that you have a good idea of how contracts should be written, how the financial portion should be to your point that, Hey, if there, if there is maybe goodwill at the end, or maybe you're walking away that at least you're not totally burned at the very end of the project.
1: Right. Cause I see, I too many times where those margins are so razor thin because of how, because they bit quoted it so low to get the job that they're, they're desperate at the end. They have to have that money and you just can't live that way. You've got to be able to have built in that contingency that a certain percentage of our jobs, we're not gonna get every penny we're owed. And so you, it's just gotta be part of your business model and construction, just like it is at Walmart. They understand there's gonna be a certain amount of theft, of theft and things that go out the door that don't get paid for and they build that into their pricing model. And it's, in general, contractors aren't for, at least at the smaller, at the lower end, aren't very good at that. I think really big general contractors are really good at that. And they write their contracts where no one else gets paid unless they get paid. And so they can protect themselves. So it's the guys, you know, that have, you know, maybe a couple of crews, three or four trucks, and they're the ones that are getting at the end of a project. And suddenly they don't get paid that last bit. And it's like, how do I make payroll next week?
0: Yeah, that's that's a really good example. And the reason why I found value consulting with legal counsel such as yourself, Scott, is that, you know, I going back to that original example I was given, you know, there are a lot of times where that closing process was just not defined. It wasn't defined at the sales process, at the initiation. It wasn't just, you know, disclosed in the contract. And so you get to the end. And inevitably, especially we saw this during COVID, you know, there could be some parts and pieces missing long, you know, delays on an appliance, whatever it may be. And, you know, client may be holding back a last pay application and going back to my commercial background, you know, commercial, it's handled very differently in the commercial world. Um, it's in the contract and it's very, yeah. you know, essentially you create a punch list, as you mentioned, and you, you specifically said this, Scott a little bit earlier that you create a punch list. Everyone's on the same page, whether you're blue tape and you're with a client, you identify mm-hmm. the outstanding items that are not complete. And essentially you create a valuation. So each one of those punch items has a dollar value and That's it's right. agreed upon. And the dollar value is typically more than what that item would cost, but that gives skin in the game for the contractor and gives some protection yep. to the client. And then as you're knocking off each item, all a cart, you can be funded that amount for that item as opposed to saying, okay, well, Scott, you have $60,000 worth of punch items, but I'm not gonna pay your final 200 grand on the pay app until that's all done. And then you're just right. being stream, you know, streamed out through the process.
1: That's right. Yeah, that's a really good way to do it. Another thing that I advise not just contractors to do is really set out what the phases of your projects are going to be in a graphic way so that when you after in the sales process you're showing them this is how we work here's the phases and then when they sign with you here's the phases and we're and when you get in phase one you tell them we're in phase one when you're in phase two you're in phase two now where the phase one may be you know by the by the materials phase two may be start the foundation, whatever your phases are and what you do, make it really clear how you work. So, and then let them know along the way over communicate where we are in the process. And that lessens the, the anxiety, um, of the customer Because if if you, if you're out here and you're a contractor and you've never been a customer, it's there's a lot of anxiety involved on whether your project's going to go the way you wanted it because you're spending a lot of money and you have a vision of what it's going to be at the end and you're scared all along the way. It's not going to match up. The more communication that you get along the way the lower that anxiety level goes which means at the end i'm going to be more likely to pay you and we have less problems because you've over communicated so you know create systems for that for how you're going to sell it how you're going to inform them during the middle it's so there's so much technology now that will do this stuff for you once you create the phases um and just you know most crms you can create a tag and so you just say okay this customer's in phase two put a tag on them and then they get an email saying, Hey, you're in phase two, welcome to phase two. And if you do those things, you're much less likely to have a, a the client you can't make happy at the end. But if you don't communicate where you are you don't tell them what's next, you're going to they're, they're going to get anxious and upset over things they maybe shouldn't because they don't understand what's going on. And then suddenly you've got the client you can't make happy and you don't get paid and then everything goes south. Um, I've seen too many contractors go bankrupt. Um, in large part because they don't have the business processes in place. And if they do, they're not communicating them to the customer.
0: I I think the phases is really interesting because, you know, just, Offhand, I know a lot of uh, builders that are doing, you know, spec homes or investment properties, and they may sell the home, mm-hmm. you know, early on in the process, maybe they haven't broken ground or maybe a concrete stage. And essentially, so they're not self-funding because the clients may come in and make some changes and alterations to the plan. You know, they're saying, okay, to your point, we have these tiers, you know, once we get to four-way inspection, you know, you're going to fund another 250 grand, you know, that's once right. we get, yeah, once cabinets are in. And so th- th- that's a way to protect and essentially create some financial protection. But you can also do that on any build or any company. Just th- the point is to be clearly defined in how that those phases calculate.
1: Yeah. And, and I just think you should communicate it verbally. Someone should be telling the, the customer what's going on. You should also do it graphically uh, so that they can see it because different people take in information in different ways, right? And so it's just you over communicate with different methods so that it's clear where you are. It doesn't matter whether you're doing a small bathroom remodel, kitchen remodel or remodeling a whole house or doing a new construction. Anything you're doing, there are phases to the project and be creative with it. Maybe you put some branding into what they're called even so that it's your process, your system. and It's different than everyone else's. And then that adds to your, your unique selling proposition when you're in front of the client trying to sell them because no one else is doing it, right? Most most contractors aren't going to that trouble. And so then you would go to the top because you're over-communicating, you're, you you seem like a professional and you're more likely to get that job at the higher value um, than maybe you are now at a lower value.
0: So, so with this analogy you gave about the primary care as a post-emergency room. You mentioned that this format is much more beneficial to us, that the user that's going to be hiring your services because sure. we have access, right? What, what do you find now that you move to this format questions? What, typically, how are you consulting? What are the questions being asked by your clients from you on a regular basis? You know, We kind of touched on the value and the money side, but yeah. what are some of the other aspects you see new businesses and companies such as myself struggle with? You know
1: we, we do a lot on the asset protection side where we're setting up uh, corporations llc's and where we have what we call a shadow structure and that we do for all our clients so that they're they have a custom plan to protect not only their personal assets which is important but the business assets from them personally and so we create those structures for them and then we also um you know as contracts come in because a lot of times you're being handed the contract From maybe you're a sub and a general's handy, then we review the contracts, highlight the the problem areas. Sometimes you can negotiate them, sometimes you can't. But knowing this, have to have to battle. So at least we know what the problems could be, and so they can work through those areas. The other big thing that we do is on branding. So many uh, so many entrepreneurs don't own the brand that they're building. They have you know they've got their LLC, they registered with the state, and they think that they own that name. And they find out years down the road that someone else had a very similar name, and suddenly they can't—they have to rebrand. You get these demand letters all the time, saying, "Hey, you're you're infringing on our trademark. We are this brand. You can't use it anymore. You have 30 days to to cease and desist." Well, that's a real problem. You now you've got to—you're going to lose momentum because you've got to stop stop and figure out what brand can we be. Then once you get a brand uh, that you think will be approved, you have to start redoing all your all your website, digital, your business cards, all that stuff at a high price. And then you have to go through a trademark process that you should have gone through in the beginning to see if you can actually own it. And so that's a big part of what we see.
0: Well, you got my attention on a few of these already. And so, Scott, let me ask you this, branding, let's touch on this last one. Um, I think anybody listening that has spent time to build their company, their brand, what would it take to say, OK, Scott, we need to unlist this. When you're looking at I, I know budgets will vary, so it's not like you need to quote this here on the podcast, but essentially yeah. timeline, you know, what does that entail to say, okay, I want to protect my website, my brand, my Instagram handle, whatever it may be, you know, that yeah. way I don't have someone else either copy it or be out there, un, you know, unknowingly, and then they're sending this cease and desist letter.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And so the, the timeline is long for trademarking. Trademarking is how you protect your brand name or your logo, or or maybe you have a slogan, uh, those are trademarks, and the trademarks application gets filed, you have to pick a class, like we talked about construction, so we'll stick with that construction, and you pick that class of goods, and you file this application with proof you're using it, and then it gets into the trademark system, and we're seeing it take six to eight months to get assigned to an examiner. Once an examiner picks it up, then they decide, does your mark merit actually getting protected? Sometimes there's some back and forth on some things where we can maybe change what we're asking for a little bit to get it approved. They Then they either approve it or deny it. Um, and then we can, then there's a, another response level. So it's usually taking nine to 12 months to get someone through that process. Um, I will say before COVID, it was more like six months. And so things have really, really drawn out. I, I don't know why, it seems like lots of things have gotten that way where. It just takes longer now. I think people just slow down, truthfully, and just don't have the urgency they used to have. But it, so it takes some time. So, you know, make that decision early because you're going to have to wait. And then, you know, during that time, you're kind of in this no man's land where you might be, you might have a brand you can use, and you just won't know. So, the earlier you can start that process, the better.
0: This episode is brought to you by Pella Windows. When it comes to building homes at AFT, almost every project has Pella Windows. And they've been just an incredible partner of ours. And locally, Sammy and Adam, they are not only amazing business partners behind us, but they are super close friends. And I speak on the podcast all the time about the importance of relationships, right? Relations with our customers, with our vendors, with our suppliers, because at the end of the day, I'm only as good as those that help our brand and assist us in our projects to, to take it from the ground up all the way to completion. And if we didn't have partners such as Pella, there's no way we'd be who we are today. Over the years, we've built this amazing relationship. When we call them or email them, they respond. They're quick. Their their company culture, their integrity, their honesty. You know, they are always there to do what's right for us and the customer. They can do anything from small replacement projects to large custom homes and even multi-million dollar commercial projects. And also, when you think about their product line, they can do ultra-contemporary, historical preservation, and large traditional projects. So for anyone, any scale, any size, they're the ones to call. They're here local. You know, they have an amazing Instagram. Make sure and give them a follow to see what they're doing. So if you need windows and doors, give Sammy and Adam a call. We stand behind Pella. We love what they do, their culture, their brand, and especially their quality. And if you want to learn more about Pella Windows, check our show notes. We'll have everything tagged there so you can give them a follow and have their contact information to reach out. Our clients have worked with the Sub-Zero Wolf and Cove showroom Scottsdale on nearly every project. They make the process so easy for us and our customers with either an in-person or virtual consultation. They have dedicated consultants to answer questions, provide helpful solutions, and offer advice and assistance. When you are ready to embark on your kitchen journey, reach out to the Sub-Zero Wolf and Cove showroom Scottsdale, who will tailor an immersive, rewarding experience just for you in their stunning showroom. Gather ideas, ask questions, and imagine how your dream kitchen might come to life. All catered to you in a low-pressure and highly inspiring environment. View an array of options and see what they look like in full-size kitchen vignettes. And attend a chef-led demonstration to see and taste these appliances in action. Yeah, so this is something essentially, I mean, for expectations, you're probably about a year process, give or take. But it's Mm -hmm. something you should start right away because you never know as your company and brand continue to grow, you know, exposure's out there. So this is just a protection.
1: Yeah, I've had I had a a client come on board with us a few years back. I was familiar with the company because I I knew the first owner. He had sold it to these guys, and during one of our first calls, I started asking questions, and it it came up that they didn't own, they did not have a trademark for the brand name. Um, And this was a a wedding DJ company actually, and they were in eight states at that time, and they didn't have a trademark. So the danger at that point is. If you file your application, you're learning the world that you're using that mark, including the people that might have that trademark. And so you, the possibility of you getting attacked at that point is, is large, but they went ahead and, and filed it and they, they made, managed to get it through, but had they not, they would have had this 10 plus year company that was doing multi-millions of dollars, um, eight States, they'd have had to rebrand all of that and then go through this 12 month process and hope cross their fingers that it was good. So. Yeah, I just can't say it strongly enough that if you're starting out in business now, this is the time to secure your trademark. It's not expensive, uh, it's an investment because it makes your business more saleable if you own the trademark and own the brand than if you just think you do. So do that as soon as you can. If you haven't done it, the best time to start is now. So don't beat yourself up uh, stuff up over it, just do it. Find someone. Um, that can help you do that we'd love to help but find someone that can help
0: that's great advice even along that point not just uh, the company and branding but you mentioned any taglines you may be using i mean that would be important right. as well especially you have them on your truck or your website or business cards i mean all this yeah. stuff needs to be protected
1: yeah with, with and then the I could
0: ask- we- oh go ahead sorry Scott. when
1: we talked about doing the phases and so if you create a graphic of these phases for your for the way you do business that isn't probably trademarkable, but you could get a copyright on it so that no one else can steal it. So there's all kinds of intellectual property that we have in our businesses that everyone's just kind of overlooking the possibility of someone could steal that. Like you have an employee come in and they work for you for a couple of years. They take your phases go start their own company. Well, how are we going to stop them? One of the ways is if you've copyrighted your processes, then they can't use that exact process. And they'd have to change it. And that that lessens their ability to compete. with.
0: So it's much grander than even the surface level where most of us are thinking of website company name taglines but you're speaking of documents we have you know how you estimate you know how Mm -hmm. we're essentially the whole system the process of that journey from the client interaction that first interaction until they move in
1: yeah if you're being really thoughtful with it and being creative and making it your own then that's that's most likely copyrightable and there's a way for us to get you protection so that you're. Like I said, so people you work with before you can't steal your steal your stuff and go compete against you unfairly. I mean, it's it's okay if they want to go compete. It just needs yeah. to be fairly. We don't want them taking our customers or taking our stuff, and so you got to protect yourself because people will do it.
0: Now, the asset protection is really interesting because I I know there's a lot of layers to that, but essentially, mm-hmm. as as companies become more successful. You know, they may have other investments, they may have brick and mortar, they may have equipment, they could have, you know, personal, you know, aspects, you know, to their individual income. And so asset protection, essentially, you're trying to create layers so that if, let's say, there's an accident in relation to the company, that some of the other assets, you know, are arms reach away and protected, right, from, you know, that potential lawsuit.
1: That's right. And there's um, in the, in the shatterproof method, there's one really there's a couple of important columns or pillars to that. One is that you need to use silos, right? So if you're doing different kinds of businesses, like so many people are doing construction, but they also own real estate and they're doing long-term rentals or short-term rentals and they have these separate businesses. Those need to be in separate LLCs or corporations so that there's no, no overlap. Right? It's like if you're driving through the countryside and you see a farm, there's silos of grain. They put different grain in the different silos because if you mix them up, they're kind of worthless. So it's the same thing with your business. So make sure you've, if you've got something that's a distinctly different business that you put in a separate LLC so that it doesn't affect the others. And so that's a real big part of the asset protection that we do. Um, and that's, that's all uh, all the stuff we've talked about today is in my book, The Shadow Entrepreneur. If someone wants to go deeper, they can get through all that stuff there. But it's uh, it's really important to have a, a strategy and have been thoughtful with how you build those companies. You know, you're looking at the liability of like, if we do something wrong with <clears throat> our company, can they come through and affect us personally? So that's why you have LLCs. You also should be thinking about what if I do something wrong personally, how's that going to come down and affect my companies? And so generally we'll talk about putting what we call a family holding company on top of those. And we do it in a state that has really strong asset protection laws. Cause here's what can happen. You're on a vacation driving around, I don't know, driving around Colorado going skiing and you run over a brain surgeon in the prime of life. You create this multi-million-dollar uh, liability. They sue you personally, they win, they get a judgment. Now they're going to take that judgment and try to take your stuff. Well, they're going to, first thing you're going to do is see that you own an LLC. And that llc if it's not structured correctly they can go through and take the take the llc and take all the profits out of it if you set it up correctly all they get is an order saying they're entitled to distributions of profit which is business owners we can find lots of ways to not distribute profit out to the members uh, or owners and so you want to have those protections in place to protect you from your business's liability and then your personal liability and most business owners just don't they're not taking the time to do this it's not what they do they don't have access to someone to help them do it and so they're just focusing on what they do and everyone needs to kind of take a step back and go you know what if something really goes wrong with my with my business or with me personally how's it going to affect it and what steps can i take to to minimize that from happening
0: it, 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 this is so important because i think most of us You know, and I've I've said this so many times on the podcast that, you know, there's a point as any entrepreneur that you're building your business. Right. And most of us are inundated with the day to day, you know, the conflict of of trying to build a successful business, whatever it may be. And, you know, there becomes a time where you're like, well, I need to start focusing on the business, not just in the business. And it could be from systems and protocol and hiring, you know, those different arms. But even when people get to that level and they may be very efficient, one thing they're not thinking about, Scott, to your point, is the asset side because you gave the really good example of you know personally you're on family vacation you hit somebody well now you're dealing with a whole different and and even on the builder side i I think a general contractor it it has to be very finite in the sense when you talk about the silos you could be self-performing different aspects of your construction and let's say you have a cabinet shop and that cabinet shop now does a job for another gc or they have an injury or something Mm -hmm. now that could be connected to the parent company, and that's so that's right. why you're essentially trying to create these separations, personally, business, and then even layering the business side. That's right,
1: exactly. And it's it's really not that hard to do. I, I am a crawl, walk, run kind of guy. So if you if you don't have an LLC at all, let's get one going. Um, <laughs> if you've got one, then let's let's add a layer. Get used to to working in that, and let's add another layer uh, because you can. I it can be made so complicated that you that it makes it hard for you to do business, So we don't want to do that. But we want to make sure that you're being thoughtful about about these things and taking logical steps to protect your business and your personal assets.
0: I love that. You know, based on this conversation, I think a lot of people are pretty intimidated by the legal. They don't know where to yeah. start. You know, you mentioned the primary care is much more beneficial because they have someone essentially on call. Yeah. How have you worked through just that intimidation of people not knowing where to go or make that first call?
1: Yeah, um, it is tough, but when you, if you think about it as a business person, you know, we would all like to be on, on the Forbes list, right? Well, all those companies, they've all got general counsel that they can just walk next to walk to the offices next door and ask any question they want. because They have general counsel sitting there. Well, you deserve and need to have that same type of relationship. And so if you can find a lawyer that is entrepreneurial, that understands what you're doing, um, and can be empathetic with your struggles, um then it's not it's really not intimidating you're you're looking for someone that wants to be on your team and a big part of that for me is how how are you going to pay them and so that's why we created the subscription model so we could be on the same side of the table as our clients so that we're working together just to prevent problems and solve problems instead of me being paid by the by taking longer to solve the problems uh they're paying a monthly fee i put a value on my service that i can that I can make enough money to, to to live on and try to keep it something that's affordable, right? You can work with us for as little as 425 a month and start this process. And as you grow and scale your business, you move up to different levels with our, with our plan, but our, our launch mode is only 425 a month.
0: And I love that simplicity, right? Because 425 dollars 25 a month, I mean, that's a no brainer for anybody listening that says I need some good legal counsel. Yeah. I, I know there are similar business formats. You know, you look at fractional CFOs, you know, like a financial okay. side, who's going to come in like CPA and kind of financially strategize. And I know a lot of fractional CFOs, probably similar to you in some aspects, Scott, and maybe you could break this aspect down, is that you know they essentially try to get a good understanding of the client the client needs you know they're going to do a little initiation session and create a value there and i know a lot of them will track internally the hours they're spending and they're like sure. hey if we're staying within those hours like we're going to keep the same monthly you know fee call it a uh, monthly subscription and if you need more service then we can increase that if you need less and so you mentioned it starts at 425 just is that a certain amount of hours kind of how do how do the different levels look with the subscription service?
1: Yeah, we build in specific services uh, into each level. Um, it's it's never based it's never based on how much time you're getting with me or my team. It's based on the different services that are provided in each level. And we limit you know, for instance, in the first level at launch, you get an LLC and then you get a customer agreement. You don't get 10 you get one and then as you move up the levels, you know, you get more and more of those things to where eventually we're doing, you're looking at your employee handbook and then we're doing a buy, sell agreement if you have multiple owners and we're doing a state plan design. And as you get to the top level, which is in the 3000 month range, you know, then it's all the other stuff's unlimited plus some really high end strategy sessions Like we'll do an annual uh, in-house strategy meeting to help you plan for the next year. And so, it's just you know we kind of try to meet you where you are. So the first time we talk, it's like us trying to figure out where you are in business, what you know, what you understand, what your uh, margin is from a money standpoint, and maybe even from a you know time standpoint to work on these things with us. And then we then we find we make a recommendation. You tell us where you feel comfortable, and then we start working together. And most of our clients kind of move between the plans. There's four tiers as their business grows and scales. And it's my job to help them get to the to top faster.
0: I love that, and and you mentioned that you're also an author. That you you know you talk about how to shatterproof your business, um, seven easy steps. I know that's kind of one of the taglines you have. What are some of the, you know, some of the items in those seven steps to shatterproof your business?
1: Yeah, one of them we've just we've just talked about, and that's having the right legal foundation, which is your, you know, your LLCs. There's too many people doing sole proprietorships right now because of this side hustle world we live in, and if it's not a hobby, if you're actually making money. You need to have an LLC because there's, it's just too easy to do it, too inexpensive, and bad things can happen if you're done. So you got to have that basic foundation, and then all the other stuff we've talked about. The second step that I would say is that you need to have a team of key advisors. It's kind of like you've got this board, right? And so first on it is you need to have me on that board. You need to have a you need to have an entrepreneurial lawyer that understands what you're trying to do. You need to have a CPA uh, that. That's how you keep score and businesses money they're the masters of that they can teach you how to set up your books your part of accounts how to look at your, read your financial statements and keep track and then help you keep as much of your money as possible so you're looking for a cpa that's really willing to strategize with you tell you where the lines are what you can do to pay less taxes right so you can can handle that the next thing you need is a banker not a bank everyone's got a bank you know banker that you know you you've got those their cell number and you know them and they know what you're doing. And if you need help getting a line of credit, or maybe you need to write a check today and to make a deposit tomorrow, that they will, they know you well enough that they're gonna let you do that stuff so you can take advantage of an opportunity. Then, last but not least, well, two more, you need an insurance person to cover the risk, right? There's just risk that I can do all kinds of stuff for you, but there's still risk out there. So you wanna have the right insurance in place. Again, it's all about relationships. They need to understand what you're doing. You can't just go online and buy the insurance. It's gotta be someone that's asking questions, understanding what you're doing. They should offer you coverages that you're gonna go, I can't afford that right now. But again, now I know I'll come back next year when I have more money. And then the last is you need to have a a coach. You need to have someone that can help you see the forest for the trees, get a different perspective um, and help you set goals, help you hold you accountable to action steps, if you really want to grow and scale a business fast, I think that's just key. You have to
0: well before you we get to the other five steps, it's interesting to break down step two here because that, that key advisor board, I think many people listening either they're they're probably on both sides. One's probably dialed in, they got all these and they they speak to them regularly, and some are like, yep. Well, I'm missing a few of these steps. I, I, I thought it was really interesting because you know, the insurance, the coach, the banker, you know, those may aspects, those are probably, you know positions that some may have, may not have. But I think more importantly, what I found, and, and I just look at this internally with my business too, is when you look at, I think the CPA, like whoever does your taxes and a lot of for a lot of us, we have a separate entity that's doing our taxes, right? And right. then we have another arm that may be in-house controller, CFO. We may have a fractional CFO. Yep. To your point, you may have a business coach that's really strategizing on the financial side. But what's happening is some of these conversations are happening independently. So you're like one-on-one with the coach and then one-on-one with your tax person. And I found real successful companies, to your point, that advisory board, they're actually doing a joint meeting. Like they're getting there with their CPA, they're getting there with their tax person, and then they're strategizing together all three parties or four parties and maybe the business coach involved too because now everyone's on the same page and everyone's aligned with the goals. And to your point, you're really setting up from chart of accounts to everything, the best way to format the, the company.
1: Yeah. And then, and then after that, kind of step two of that is that after that, those meetings, then they all know each other. They know that, that it's okay for them to talk to each other. And so that you may ask your attorney a question that's like, well, there's really some tax things in that baked into that question. So they call the, the CPA, They discuss the issue, come up with your options, and then they present you with options. And instead of you having to be on a phone call with them going through the minutia, they give you the options of what you can do because that's all happening in the background because you've assembled this team of people that are working on your behalf together. And so it it frees you up to work on your business. Because most of us, the, the struggle, and you mentioned this earlier, is that we're so busy working in it that we don't get to work on it. And so you, you you could also get very busy talking to all these advisors, and so you want them to be doing some work for you behind the scenes, because then it's a real lever to get to to help you move forward faster, because they're doing things that that you can't do, because you don't have that experience, and you don't really need to know every little bit of it. You just need to know, hey, here's the solution. Tell us yes or no.
0: Well, and you beat me to the punch in one aspect because there's one aspect where you're, you know, game planning for end of year in taxes. And of course, you know, we're in January now. So ideally you're having these conversations now, you know, every quarter, whatever it may be, but, but a really important aspect to this, something that I just went through personally with my business, is you start looking at number one, having LLCs because there's tax advantages, not just in protection, but also asset, you know, moving land and deeds. And so to your point, when you have LLC set up and you have your legal, so you have Scott on one side, and then you have your tax you know, company on the other side who's doing your tax as well, mm-hmm. those two are conversing too, saying, here's how we can asset protect some of the items That's in right. the business. Here's how you can move it tax exempt. Here's how you can protect yourself. And so these conversations are fluid, they're happening, and it's really important that there's that camaraderie between all the parties.
1: That's right. It's so important. And most people are, even if you have these people, you're not using them in that way. And so you're really missing out on a lot of the value in paying these people is, the, is to have them working as a team behind, behind the scenes when, when they can. And then I loved your, your idea of the actual board meeting where, where you're presenting problems that you're having and letting them help you strategize and solve those problems together.
0: Yeah, it's just incredible, and and that's why I'm so excited to have you on, Scott, because you have me fired up this whole time. Uh, you, you mentioned LLCs and the advisory board. What are some of the other steps that you've counseled with companies to uh, be shadowproof?
1: Yeah, well, the, the next one would be document everything. We've kind of gone th- over this, too, that you've got to have written contracts that are clear, unambiguous, uh, reviewed by lawyers, if not written by lawyers, so that you know they're enforceable or if there's something in it that's questionable, whether it's enforceable or not, you know that it, that's that's the case. And so you know not to push too hard on those issues, but you wanna have those written in a friendly way, but you need to have them documented. You need to have operating agreements for your LLCs, bylaws for your corporations, hold meetings and do minutes, right? And that go back to the tax side. If you're documenting this stuff correctly, it gives your CPA tax person better ammunition to be able to lower your tax burden because they can document that you had a meeting in Barbados uh, for this LLC on this day and it cost this much. But if you don't document that stuff, you can't do it. So you gotta have a really good system for documentation. And by documents, I don't necessarily mean paper. It can. I, I encourage you to be as digital as possible and use as little paper as possible just so that you can have the ability to work anywhere in the world at any time. If you want a lifestyle business, you're going to you've got to get rid of as much paper as possible. Otherwise you're really tied to a location. So that's kind of some free advice there, but I would do that. And then kind of the next next thing to do shadowproofing your business is, and we've talked about this, is own your brand. So trademarks, extra IP, copyrights. If you've got a product that can be patented, get it patented. Make sure that you own it and dominate it. And then, kind of the last one, and it seems like we shouldn't have to talk about this, but don't use other people's stuff. Too many <laughs> people are infringing on the copyrights and trademarks of other people, sometimes unintentionally, um, and sometimes it's just laziness because you know we're, you know, we're all working in you know in CRMs and click funnels and all these things, building stuff all the time, and you'll need an image for something, and you go online, and it's just right there on the on the search with images and you're like, that's perfect. And you grab it, but you don't own it and you don't know what the rights are to it. So go to a site where you can buy the images, secure the rights to use it. So that, so that there's no question that you own those rights. There's no defense to it. If you use a copyrighted image and every image that's produced has a copyright when it, it, it attaches to it, when it's created, if they haven't given you the rights to use it, there's no defense to you using. it. And you're going to get hit with a couple thousand dollars easy and then if they sue you, you're going to pay their attorney's fees it can be a real you know a real big mess and that can happen if you hire a web person to create a website for you and don't and don't make sure in the contract that they're required to use to only use copy you know images that they've got permission they bought the images you want to have that documented clearly and then they should be giving you the proof so that you have it in your pocket if someone sends you a letter that says hey you don't have a license for this, you can say, yeah, I do. Here it is and put it out there. But those are some of the basic steps that you just, if you want to be shadowproof and a shadow business is one that will bend and not break, you've got to follow those basic steps.
0: It's really good counsel. When, when you talk about the infringement and you gave a good example about photos and websites, where do you find businesses struggling with infringing or copyright issues, you know, outside of that example?
1: Uh, that's the, that's the, that's the really big play playground right now is it's, it's it's still websites, um, and web funnels where we're, because you're doing them so quickly, um, people are just being really lazy or, um, the people that are creating, they are paying to create them are being disingenuous and they're giving you things that they know they shouldn't because they're not going to be on the hook. Um, the owner of the website's on the hook, not the person that created it. And so that's the really big area. And then the other is that trademark infringement we talked about earlier, where you're using a a name for your company that you don't own. Saw this happen, I guess, two years ago. Electric electrician company, electrical company, was had a name they've been using for 10 years, and thought they were thought they were golden. And suddenly another a bigger company moved into their area, and they both applied for permits uh, at the same time, and it got issued to the wrong company. And so the other company became aware of it. And so now they send a cease and desist letter and they had trademarked it and they had been using it even before our clients uh, had used that name. So then you go back to the drawing board. And I, We've gone through sometimes hundreds of names trying to come up with one that is actually something that we think there's a you know, 90% chance you can actually secure so that's those are the two areas is using people's stuff on your website, whether it's images or even music. A lot of music issues where you're putting sound with something and it's not a sound that you purchased. Um, that happens a lot on the in this podcast area where you know, build a, the intro for your podcast and you use some sound or song that you liked, but you didn't buy the rights or who created it for you didn't buy the rights. So those are the kind of the common areas we see.
0: Yeah, those are good examples. And It's interesting when you speak about just the rebranding, you know, I just think of how concerning that is for any business that's spent years to build their brand, their name, their logo. And, you know, to get that letter, you know, it just be so disheartening to have to go through and essentially rebrand where most people know you as that. And now you're rebuilding the the whole entity, if you will.
1: Yeah, because we're so tied to it, right? It's like Mm -hmm. we become the brand and it, yeah it's it's so it's not just that we have to have a new name and do more marketing and spend money it's a it's a real gut punch and you you know try having to become something you knew when you didn't want to we don't like change period but when it's forced on us we really don't like it and so you know just don't be that don't be that guy get it get it done now while you can do it on your own volition
0: the, the reason I love your program so much, Scott, is because, and and you brought this up a little a little bit ago on the podcast, is that so many things in business, right? Every day we're mitigating, you know, managing risk, right? We're trying to understand the risk associated with what we do as a company, you know, contracts essentially are divorce agreements. They're they're there that if there is a divorce, you know, we have, you know, some language there to determine yep. you know how we transition right from here. Yep. Um, but at the end of the day. You said this that a really good, you know, legal um advocate, legal counsel such as yourself, a good insurance broker, they're gonna present the facts. You know, you're gonna present all the information and let you mention this with the subcontractor with all the GC agreements. They're gonna you're gonna go through them and say, look, you know, this can come back to bite you. There's some caution here. But essentially you're counseling them and they may make the decision, hey, I really wanna work for this GC, I'm willing to take the risk, but at least yep. they understand before signing that document kind of what they're up against and how they could maybe over-communicate or set expectations to ideally avoid, you know, something that could come back and haunt them. Yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah. And and then as you, as we go through the process, and that's why we call it legal coaching, we're trying to help not just show them the areas, but explain to them why it's a problem and how it could affect them so that they can, you know, make, ask better questions, make better decisions when we're not around too.
0: Yeah. And that's, you know, understanding where, where they can, how cause they can't have you 24, seven on speed dial, no, you know, no. probably these issues come up well along the contract and document side, you know, what is signers remorse?
1: Yeah. Signers remorse is when you, you know, we, we've all done it. You, you, everyone has signed a contract and then woke up in the middle of the night and said, why did I sign that? <laughs> I, I shouldn't have done that. I got sold. I got sold into it. Um, I, I really shouldn't have done it. It was too much money or you signed it and gone home and your significant other just said, hey, why did you sign the contract? Um, and so you have this remorseful feeling like, I wish I hadn't done that. Um, or you something pops up in the contract that you didn't realize was there or didn't understand was in the contract. Well, that can all be avoided. Uh, if, if you have legal counsel it for you, that's the easiest way, right? You're gonna avoid that because they're gonna do what you said, show you the problem areas. But yeah, I've got a system that, that we teach people how to go through contract Mark it up in a, in a systematic way so that you can know that you're not going to have these surprises when you wake up the next day of, oh, gotcha, you signed it, but didn't understand it.
0: Have you ever had an experience where typically when you're going through the red line contract language, right, you're going back mm-hmm. and forth, it's clearly outlined, you know, typically it's a live doc, but everyone's identifying where you're making red lines. Mm-hmm. Have you ever had it where you get to the final version, everyone's essentially agreed perfect, it's sent sign and changes were made to that contract from one of the parties without advising the other. I haven't Um, had that happen. And and the only reason I asked that happened to me where, and and I would imagine that you've probably protected this, that you know, for us, failure early on in my career, we're going back and forth with a pretty savvy client that unbeknownst to me at the time, you know, had been through a lot of litigation before. And Mm so we had essentially identified, you know, all the terms that we're gonna change. And on the very last version they sent back, they made changes, but this is why it's really important you know, to have someone like you that would actually, whether it be a word count or their layering to figure out that nothing's been changed. That's right. Yeah, we haven't had it
1: happen, but I, I guess you're, it could have happened and we just don't know it.
0: <laughs> well, that's good if you don't know it, that means yeah. you're in a good place. Um, when you speak about the art of documenting the deal, what does that entail? You know, it's
1: real similar to that. You know, we, the the for remorse is how do we review a contract to sign it and not feel bad about something that was in it we didn't understand. And on the flip side is how do you create deals uh, that you know are solid and that you understand the terms? Um, you know, we have a method of doing it through email, right? Because sometimes it's a you know you got to do a deal now. You can't wait to get everyone involved in it. And so if you go through the the eight steps and outline them in an email format, that here are the, you know here's the parties to the contract. For instance, here's the dates of performance. Here's what we have to do. Here's the money involved. Who pays what? Here's when they here's when they do it. Here's how we're going to settle any disputes. Like you mentioned, you know if they were going to have mediation or arbitration. Um, here's what state laws going to govern it, uh, and and attorney fees get paid if you if you win a lawsuit. If you've got these basic things in this deal, and then you send it over to the other side by email and say, okay, we just talked about this. Here's what I wrote down as our as our deal. Are you in agreement? If they reply back yes, you've got an enforceable agreement. Would I like it to be better? Yeah. And so in a perfect world, you would then say, now I'm gonna forward this to our lawyers, so they can put it into an agreement form. I'll send it to you when it's when it's ready. But you've you've got everyone kind of agreeing on the actual terms, but you've got an enforceable contract with that digital signature. And so, you know, it's like you just gotta be smart and make sure you've got to know before you call that you've got to know what are the important deal points, what things do I have to have in this, and in the art of the deal, we list out those things that you've got to have in your.
0: Do you, you know, when you're looking with clients that you're working with, are there, you know, maybe early on when they come to are many of them working without contracts at any level? And how does that change, you know, once they integrate your services?
1: Yeah, a lot of people, are, especially in the construction industry, are working with just quotes, right? And they might have a place where you sign the quote, but that's it. There's no terms and conditions. There's, there, are, there is not a contract. Um, we see that a ton. And then we do have some bigger companies that come in that have had had legal counsel, you know, where they've retained them to create this package or that package on one off deals. And so then it's just upgrading them, making sure everything works together. But we do see a lot of people that are just, I mean, it's, it's a handshake deal. You know, we're going to do this. We're going to we'll remodel your kitchen for $30,000 sign, you know, sign the quote and then they're off and running and just kind of one thing you'll run into if you're, if you're listening right now and going, that's how I do this. I haven't had any problems. Well, you will because one of the things that's never on your quote is that your prices are only good for a certain amount of time. And in today's world where suddenly a virus comes out and everything shuts down and the, the goods, your, your cost of goods soars, if you don't have a, a, a valve to get out of that in your agreement, you're cooked. Um, and you so you've got to have those things built in, and you can't just do that on a quote. You've got to have a little more documentation to it. And again, to me, it's real important that we don't make this so big and burdensome that no one would sign it. We want to make it really easy for people to do business with you, understand clearly what you're doing. And that's what that's what my team does. Is we put those things together so that it encourages business, but it makes it where everyone knows what the game is. And so it's, it's really easy to play.
0: So why so passionate about this? How did you come to this specialty of, you know, the, the subscription service?
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I started practicing in 96 and I lit in litigation, did a lot of corporate litigation. I've done catastrophic personal injury. I've done some oil and gas, real estate, all that stuff. And we just, I just kind of saw a common thread of people making mistakes that could have been avoided with, a real small expense and a lot of times it's contracts like they, the two executives at each company wrote the contracts themselves. They probably even had general counsel, but somehow didn't send it to them. And suddenly there's one paragraph in this contract that's vague and ambiguous and they spend $150,000 litigating. Them. Well, big companies can, you know, corporate, you know, major corporations, billion dollar companies, they can afford that. It's no big deal. But the you know, mom and pop shops that are doing, you know, six figures, maybe low seven figures, they really can't afford to spend $150,000 litigating over a $50,000 contract, and so you, I had to, I hadn't solved the problem. Um, I, you know, I kind of looked inside and thought because maybe I'm the problem, maybe they don't like me, maybe it's my personality, and that's why my clients are coming back. And I, I decided it wasn't that; it really was the the way that we worked. And once I shifted the way we worked, suddenly I'm friends with my clients. We'll talk for 30 minutes on the phone about life that's nothing to do with a specific Google problem because they don't have to worry about me billing for my time. And so now they're being transparent and open with me and I find out things they're doing wrong and can correct them. Um, That would never have found out if I'm billing them by the hour because no one will do that. And I just, I just had this vision back in 2012 that there had to be a better way. And there had to be this way to build a subscription. Uh, I mean, that's kind of when the Dollar Shave Club was coming out and I'm like, they can sell razors on subscription. There's gotta be some way to do this. And so I hired my first business coach and said, here's my vision. Um, can you help me do this? And they're like, yeah, we can do that. We've built other subscription models for other kinds of businesses. And so we set up and built it and started selling it in the, in the first of 2013.
0: That's incredible. So, I mean, you're 10 years now in business, you know, how has the business transformed from then until now?
1: You know, a ton. Um I, I undervalued the service at first, for sure. Like
0: and most then, of those, right?
1: yeah, um, to try to get business. And then I also uh, underestimated how difficult it was going to be to get people to do it. Um, no one was searching for a subscription lawyer in 2013. There were no Google searches for that. So I had to create the market. So I had to get on stages and go talk about it and, and build, you know, uncover the pain points so that people could see that, oh, I've got these issues. I just didn't know it. And there's a system for solving that problem I didn't wasn't aware of. And so that was a kind of a real problem. And then and then building because to do this at at an affordable way, you have to build a lot of systems and automation so that it can be efficient. Otherwise, I can't make money. And the number one rule of business is to charge more for your product or service than it costs to produce it. So that's been one of the tough things and things I've learned. And we use a ton of technology now that we couldn't use 10 years ago, but it makes a huge difference. And we're able to to run with a fairly small team, um, and still scale
0: the service. So outside of all the legal counsel you shared today on the podcast, what do you do for fun, Scott?
1: Yeah, um, I, I used to do a lot of cycling and I, my wife didn't think that was safe. So now I spend, <laughs> I spend a lot of time in the gym lifting weights um, and uh, I did a, did a boot camp today. I just like to stay active. I've got two boys. One's 21 and one's 25. And know, we'll go play golf or we'll go ski in. And I, like to, I just like to be out doing stuff.
0: That's amazing. And what's some of the best advice you were given from a mentor, maybe your business coach, when you were starting your company?
1: Um, yeah, I, think I I think the best advice really is that simple thing. Did, I've already stated and I'll restate it. The number one rule in business is you have to charge more for the product or service you're charging than it costs to make it. And to do that, you have to know what it costs to make it. And too many people have no clue whether they're making money.
0: And, and honestly, Scott, just to expand upon this a little bit, um, that advice is so sound because I think many of us, not only, I, I think there's an element to this too, where you have to really understand what does it take? to create the product. And so for me, building custom homes, mm-hmm. to, it took too long to really understand what that process even looked like, right? From yeah. front to back. Then yeah. if you don't even understand that aspect, it's not that we didn't know how to build a house, but I mean, I'm talking about all the touch points mm-hmm. and client experience and everything, all, you know, that baton has its past, really understand that and then understanding the cost to do that. And then you can understand what to charge for that. And, you know, I think any company to your point, once to understand those elements, you know, they can actually be really successful and, and ideally profitable.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's it's key. You you gotta know your numbers, you gotta know what things cost, and you have to then you have to also know the value of the of the problem you're solving in the in the, in the market um, to set to set your price. So you're not setting it too low.
0: Um so what do you have that's upcoming and exciting?
1: Yeah, I've got uh, my podcast, the Shut Up Entrepreneur will launch in February. Um, real excited about it. We are we're recording episodes right now. Can't wait for it to launch. Um, just want to, I want to help. My part of my personal mission is to help 10, 10 million uh, entrepreneurs shatterproof their businesses. And the only way I can do that is through mass media. I can't get on enough stages to do it. And so podcasts like yours. And then when I get mine going, I'm just so excited for, for what twenty for what 2024 has has in store for
0: Oh, that's exciting. And anyone that's done a podcast know there's a lot of legwork to launch that first episode and to stay consistent.
1: Yeah, I'm excited. We've got a good team and place to do it. And uh, it's a lot of fun. I get to, I'm going to get to every week, get to talk to people like you and um, build, build a, a network of friends that I don't have now and learn a ton.
0: So for those listening, where can they find you? Again, mention the podcast and other links so they can reach out and start building their LLCs, their branding, their yeah. asset protection.
1: Yeah, you can find me on Instagram at the Scott Reeb. That's a really good place. And we, we, we're doing constant legal tips and reels that you can get there for free. And then come to the website at reeblaw.com, R-E-I-B-L-A-W.com forward slash Brad Levitt show. And we'll have a special page there just for you guys that are listening today uh, that will give you an opportunity to book a 20-minute call with me at no cost. And we'll do, I'll I'll promise you'll leave with some value. And then you can also download uh, the ebook um, that we've talked about on the seven ways to start a future business.
0: Oh, Scott, you've been incredible. We'll make sure to um, uh, leave that in our show notes as well for anybody, you know, so that way not trying to jot that down. But Scott, can't thank you enough. You've been an incredible guest and really appreciate you making the time to share your insight.
1: Hey, thanks, Brad. It's been a a really good time.
0: If you get value from the show, please support us by giving a five-star rating and review on whatever platform you listen to. And I also have a favor to ask. We've had some incredible guests that come on and share their wisdom, their knowledge about their business. So if you have friends or family members that could benefit from those episodes, please share it with them, as well as any other business owners that you're networking with that could get value from the podcast or certain episodes, please share those as well. Again, subscribe, make sure you're following any questions that you have, topics, We've had uh, listeners reach out about certain guests that we should have on the show. Again, brad.l at aftconstruction.com. Email me for topics to address, guests that we should have on, and even if you think you'd be a great guest for the show. So again, thank you for all your support, and we'll see you next time.